0: For the Greg, now we'll be, I'll be reading the uh, fourth psalm, I'll read it all, all eight verses of it. David is the one that's speaking, he's the writer here, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing or lying? But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifice of sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us uh, any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than, in the, in the time that their corn and their wine increased, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, uh, only makest me to dwell in safety. Now the verse that caught my attention in this psalm, as I read this past week, was the third verse. And I'll read that third verse again, But know, David says, that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself, and the Lord will hear when I call unto him. And so, if I had to give it a title tonight, the message would be the Lord's chosen people, chosen for himself, and I think that is a very neat statement that is made. Now, Psalms 3 and Psalms 4 are believed to be written at the same time, and also they're called the Psalms of Distress, and David is in distress, and boy is he ever in distress, and uh, there's a reason why he's in distress, uh, of course, and uh, we, we can find that reason in uh, you can <clears throat> if you're taking notes you can write these scriptures down and you can read it and study it for yourself it's found in 2 Samuel 15:1 through 17:29 and what has happened to David is that his son Absalom has raised up against him and has gotten to himself a following And also David's chief advisor, Ahithophel, has joined in that too. And a whole lot of other people have joined in it too, as we've seen in verse number 2 what David has said. And of course what happened in that is it got so bad that David had to leave Jerusalem. He had to flee because his own son Absalom was trying to kill him. And chasing after him and trying to kill him, and of course he had a group of men that left Jerusalem with him, and uh, it's really an interesting story how that uh, there were those that uh, brought them supplies where they were hiding out and camping out and things like that, and uh, so uh, the the Bible tells us that it's in the sixteenth chapter of Second Samuel. Some, something that is interesting, there were some people who uh, come up to him and they were throwing rocks at him and cursing him. And of course, some of the men that were with him said, do you want me to take her head off? You know, they would have, would have done it. And David said, no, uh, leave them alone. They feel the Lord is leading them to curse me. Now, what had happened in David's experience was interesting. Back in the twelfth chapter of Second Samuel was where we find uh, uh, the, that, the account of David's great sin uh, with uh, uh, against um, uh, oh what was his name that was uh, huh? Well, anyway, No, it was. uh, We're going back to Second Samuel chapter (laughs) twelve, right? right Quickly. I'm sorry, my feeble little mind wouldn't remember. Uh, It was, um, yeah, it was David's. David committed uh, sin uh, with. um, uh, It was um, Uriah the Hittite, and uh, he had him killed. And it was his, his wife uh, that David had committed adultery uh, with. And, uh, and so uh, the judgment of God was coming down on David and God sent the, uh, sent the uh, uh, prophet to him and told, told him as a part of the problem with his sin. In the 10th verse of that 12th chapter he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And so that was David's sin. And there's something that's really interesting. Of course, we know that in that 12th chapter, the the little child that was born uh, there died. And it died as a result of David's sin. And it spells it out very clearly there. But the interesting part of that is that That God said that the sword will never depart from your house. Now there's something here uh, that is interesting reading these two psalms. And you can read the third psalm if you want to when you get home. And go back and read that whole account in uh, 2 Samuel. It's really uh, an interesting one. Is that David committed that sin. But we know that the Bible teaches that David repented of his sin. And he was for given for that and um, the the Bible tells us here in the 12th chapter that God did forgive him so he was forgiven of his sin there's a a truth that comes out of that and here's what the truth is when the child of God sins and the Bible teaches we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness but there's something about when a Christian sins, that they they may suffer the consequences of that for the rest of their life, their natural consequences, and God has just allowed that to be true, and it was true with David. But the fact that he was restored to a right relationship with the Lord, and we find in this psalm that he's making uh, making statements in the psalm that says that God was with him, God was hearing him and God was uh, taking care of him and watching over him, even though he went through all that trouble. Now when you go back there and read that account of uh, uh, Absalom rebelling against his father, and of course he was hunting David down, he was going to kill David, he was going to take the throne, and in the process of time, he's riding his beast, animal, horse, or whatever it was, and he evidently had a big long head of hair and it got caught in a tree and it hung him by his hair and uh, David's men killed him and of course David grieved and grieved and grieved over, over that fact but uh, so that took care of that issue that, that he was talking about here but something that David says uh, in this psalm the first verse says this here. Me when I call, O God, of my righteousness, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. And as I said a while ago, both those psalms are uh, considered psalms of distress. And this was David's distress. But he was able to say that. He said, God has enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Then he goes down in the 7th verse and 8th verse. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that uh, their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for the Lord only maketh me to dwell in safety. In other words, he's saying, God is going to take care of me. And uh, in other words, you say, well, he committed that awful sin. Now, surely... God wasn't going to take care. When God forgives someone and God restores that person, then God's blessing is going to continue on their life, but they may suffer greatly as a result of their sin. And certainly David did. And if you follow the 12th chapter in verse 10 where it says that the sword will not depart from the house, you follow it on and you'll realize that that was absolutely true. And this was the first thing that happened as a result of that was what Absalom did. And so uh, the fact of the matter is that there sometimes is a continued issue as a result of sin in our life. And it ought to be avoided at all costs. Ought to be avoided at all costs. And certainly the mar- remarks I'm making about it, I do not justify him in that sin. And those things that he suffered as a result of it was... the way that God's allowed that to be true. Sometimes we do suffer from that, even though we are forgiven of our sin. Now, I want to point out something that he says here in verse 2. And he's addressing those who are really uh, mistreating him, going after him and everything. He says, O you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame, how long will you love vanity and seek after leasing or lying, seek after lying or what have you. And of course, when you read that account, you realize that they, they did that. I mean, they really did do that. Not only did Absalom try to kill him, but he had people that were, they were throwing rocks at him. If you could imagine the king of Israel being, being rocked over that, and that's what they were doing. And then we come to that verse, we come to this verse, and he says, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. In other words, there's something of a warning in this, the statement that he has made. And you know, that's true of every true believer. If you know the Lord tonight, you can know for a fact that the Lord has set you apart for himself. Now, people get that backward. Uh, people will say, well, you know, uh, I've come to the Lord and it's for me that I've come to the Lord. And certainly, there are those blessings uh, for us when we know the Lord. And, and m- most of all is our future or salvation throughout all eternity. But, this is saying that God is doing something, the Lord is doing something for himself, for himself. And this is the neat, the neat part uh, in this, and it's amazing to me that he could take a pen and write these things under the circumstances that he was under, and uh, uh, but that's exactly what we have in these two psalms. Now it's in this setting that David gives this warning, but know that the Lord has set apart them that are godly for himself. Now not only I think was he uh, saying that as a, a matter of warning, in other words, uh, you don't want to mess with somebody that the Lord has set apart for himself. And that's just, that's just a fact. And the Bible says, uh, for example, touch not mine anointed. And so that's what David is saying here, that even though he has been guilty of a great sin, God has forgiven him and he is, one, he is a favored one uh, in God's sight. But then there may be another motive that is involved in this, and he may be uh, seeking to draw these that were uh, guilty of vanity and lying unto his God. He very well could have been by the example that he was setting. And I believe that, uh, and I've said this oftentimes, that the best witness that we have is lifestyle. I really believe that, though my heart, just simply the way we live our life. I've called it lifestyle evangelism. And, you know, every one of us people know us. And they know us, a lot of people in our own circle, they know us well. And they watch us. You know, everybody's being watched. Everybody's being studied, whether we like it or not. And especially when we claim to be a child of God, people are watching us. And they're marking our actions and the like. And so, it is our witness that we live before others. Now, there are three things I think that are important about this verse, verse number 3. I believe that there is a unique character that is set forth in this verse of Scripture. And that unique character is him that is godly. Him that is godly. And uh, it's a unique relationship. It's uh, a person who is different from this world around him that he lives in. And God has made him, uh, and I use the word him because it's what's in the Scripture, but of course it is him or her, either one, but God makes that person a stranger to the world. Now I know that you probably understand what that means, to be a stranger to the world. And you know the Christian that seeks to walk with the Lord has come to the place in life where the attractions of the world don't mean a lot to them. They are not that concerned. And they, they seem to be, and I know a lot of them, they're thankful for what they have and the situation that they're in. They're like the Apostle Paul who says he learned in whatsoever state he was in, therewith to be content. Did you know the Christian should be content with whatever state that they're in? And uh, that doesn't mean we don't try to improve our life and try to do better or whatever. But that's what this is saying, that God, the Lord has made him the way he is. And here's what Jesus said. Because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And so that's what Jesus says about that. In other words, if a person is going to be, as the verse of Scripture says, that he's set apart, set apart, just to think about set apart means that. God must have called us away from something and unto Himself. And so that's exactly what happens to the person who is convicted of their sin and drawn to the Savior. They've been set apart from the world unto the Lord. And the Christian is wise to understand that for themselves, that I have been set apart, as the Bible says there. So what does it mean uh, to be godly? And so I'm going to share with you, uh, three or four things that I think it means to be godly. I think first of all, it is a God fearing person, first and foremost. Every one of us would agree that when the Lord uh, convicted of us, uh, convicted us of our sin and drew us unto Him, uh, that we were God fearing People in that initial thing that was happening to us. Or we would have never ever been convicted of anything if we were not God-fearing people, become God-fearing people. In other words, it means, uh, first of all, it means a reverence. It means the things of God are sacred to Him. It means the Bible is a sacred book. God's people respect this book. They believe it. They believe every bit of it whether they understand it or not, they believe it to be the Word of God and that just settles it. That settles it. That's what God said and that's the way it is. So the Bible is a sacred book. Every word has been inspired by Him that we have before us. Also the Lord's day is a sacred day. It is a day that God has set apart for us to worship Him and to praise Him. The church is a sacred entity to Him. And uh, we understand that, but it's more than reverence. It actually is fear, fearing God. God God-fearing people actually fear God. And they're careful not to offend Him, and they're careful not for Him not to be grieved at them because of anything. We don't want that. We don't desire that. We avoid that at all costs in our life. So first of all, a godly person is a God-fearing person. And you find that statement all through the Bible. God-fearing people. God-fearing people. And so that's what they are first of all. Then they are a God-trusting person. A God-trusting person. First they have trusted their soul and the keeping of their soul unto Him. And that's what Paul meant when he said that he was persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto Him. What have we committed unto Him? Is He able to keep that? That's what the Bible says. So that person is a trusting person. He's trusted the penalty of their sin to the substitute, divine substitute. And not only that, they've, like David did here, they've uh, trusted their troubles to the Lord and called out to Him for help. How many of us in times in our life when there was troubles and there was issues, And we were so thankful that we were able to come to the Lord and bring our trials and our troubles to Him and ask Him for help. All of us need help from time to time. Then uh, the godly person is a God-loving man. Why? Because when God saves people, He pours His love into their heart. In Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 5 says that, tells us that. He's put it in our heart. He's caused us... To love Him. Why do you love the Lord tonight? You love Him because He first loved you. That's what the Bible says. And so that is the miracle of God's saving grace that brings that about. And not only has it caused us to love Him, but it causes us to love all of the dear ones that are here on this earth. The reason why we love each other, and we do, we love each other, you know, you can't hide that. It's just something, a part of your being is because that God has invested that love and imparted that love in our hearts and in our soul. But then he's a God-like person. The godly person is a God-like person. Now, the New Testament uses the term Christ-like, Christ-likeness. In the book of Romans and chapter number eight, and I'll turn over there and read that. I I really do like this passage of Scripture. In the 8th chapter of Romans, and here's what it says, Um, in verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, you see if you're saved tonight, guess what? You were foreknown. You were known. Whom, Whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. When God saves someone, that's exactly what He does. Now, I've had people tell me, you know, I don't believe in predestination. Well, if you say that, and you mean it, you have to say, I don't believe what the Bible says. Because the Bible definitely teaches that predestination has the power of God behind it. In other words, He has determined our destiny in this life. And that is that we be Christ-like. When when it says in our text tonight that he has uh, uh, that he set apart him for himself, that very statement being set apart is an act of God. That's not an act of ourselves. We want to be set apart. We practice being set apart, but we do so because we've been set apart. It's something that the Lord uh, has done and performed in our life. So predestination has the power of God behind it. He goes on to say, be conformed to the image of His Son. Then we like this, moreover whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. All of that. And that's in one statement that it's done. You say, but preacher, ain't it left up to me? Well... You know, the way we live our life is left up to us and we're challenged and taught in the Bible how we do that. But God has done some things and the neat thing about this passage of Scripture is that He's done it for Himself. He has done it for Himself. So the Lord has set uh, the godly apart for Himself. Now, I know we're not perfect. We'd all confess that. We'd all say that it's true. We, we don't, probably none of us ever done as bad as David did, or probably ever will do as bad as David did. But we know that we're not perfect. And, uh, but we also know that, Je- that the Lord took into consideration our flaws, and Jesus died for our flaws and put a desire in our heart to serve Him. I know I'm preaching to people tonight that have a desire to, to serve Him. And the reason you do is because the Lord put that there. It wouldn't make any sense for someone to claim to be set apart for himself. And then not desire to live for him. That just wouldn't make any sense at all. And the reason is because it's just not true. He's the potter and he, we're the clay. And He's going to mold us and make us according to His blessed will if we belong to him if we've been set apart and also in the book of Malachi in chapter 3 and verse 3 he sits as the refiner in other words he is the refiner refining out the dross and purifying the gold or purifying the metal there and so that's the way God operates in our lives he cannot let us be like the world and he will not let us be like the world if we truly are saved he will not let us be like the world. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. What is the purpose of chastening? The purpose of chastening is to keep us straight. Amen? Keep us on the right track. Keep us on the right track. I raised two boys. They got a little chastening along the way. Why did they get a little chastening along the way? They got it because I loved them too much to let them be what they might be if they were just let go. And that's the way God treats us too. And so, it is for His honor and His glory. And he sets us apart for Himself and for His service. Now, the sad part of the story of David is that he never was again after his great sin. And he repented of his sin. We find that in the 51st Psalm where he repented of his sin. He, But he never was like he once was in the service of God. Not only do we have a unique character here in Him that is godly, but we have a unique privilege of Him that is godly. And that privilege is, He says here, uh, He will hear when they call. He will hear when they call. Now, I I want you to think about that. Uh, I was thinking about this this afternoon. You know, if I wanted to go uh, up to the White House and I wanted to talk to the president or others that was in charge, and you just imagine I go up and I knock on the door, uh, you know good and well I'm not going to have access to the president. There's no way that's going to happen. I couldn't persuade uh, him to give me a little time to tell him what I think about the way our country is going, about, about the moral decline And by the way, one of our men told me what I said about the Mexican president this morning, uh, saying that uh, he was making the claim that America couldn't say a whole lot about their drug issue because of their own moral decline. He actually said it. Of course, he was speaking in language I couldn't understand, but they was interpreting exactly what he was saying. And then one of the men told me this morning that uh, Vladimir Putin also did the same thing that he even went in greater detail uh, in saying that the West uh, had turned away from the Scriptures, the Word of God, and talked about the moral decline. He's supposed to look that up for me, see if he can find the remarks that he made. Can you imagine that? Somebody like him making remarks like that. But you know what? He would be saying the right thing, because we do have an issue in America with moral decline. And it's bad. It's bad. And as I shared with you this morning, uh, we may uh, suffer the consequences of that because you don't just keep provoking God and getting worse and worse and worse at it. You know, if you want to know what happens when a nation provokes God, just go back and read the Old Testament and you will find out exactly what happens when a nation or country or cities or whatever. Sodom and Gomorrah did that. They did it. And guess what? God rained fire and brimstone down on them as a result of that. We 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 have a holy and righteous God that will not put up with that kind of thing. And so we have the wonderful privilege of being able to call upon him. I might not be able to get a hearing from the leaders in Washington, but I'll tell you what, isn't it wonderful that I can get on my knees or whatever posture I choose to take upon myself and know that the Bible promises me God will hear me. Do I always get what I want? Not necessarily because the Bible is very clear that we must pray in His will. He don't answer the things. He don't give us the things that are not in His will. And, so, and you say, well, how do I know that? I believe that the person who does the best that he possibly can to live for the Lord and serve Him faithfully uh, has, uh, can perceive the will of God in things. Can perceive that. And so sometimes God just doesn't give us what we ask for. Sometimes He doesn't give it when we, when we ask for it. But maybe it will come later. All things work together for good for them that, are, that love Him and are the call According to His purpose, and so one of the greatest privileges that we have, in the in the eighty fourth psalm and the eleventh verse says this: No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Isn't that a marvelous promise? No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. And in this same chapter that. Um, Calling to your attention says this in the 32nd verse, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. And you know we need to be careful about our praying for things because He's not going to let us become worldly. And a lot of times people's prayer are related to worldly things. Worldly things. And so there are things in this world a lot better than worldly things. And so Christians find that out in their walk with the Lord. And then I'll I'll point out one final thing here about the Lord has set apart him that is godly. And I want to emphasize the two words that he says, for himself. He has set aside, set apart, them that are godly for himself and of course as I have mentioned there's a lot of unsound doctrine in this world people have the idea that I come to the Lord for myself it was my doing and uh, while we have benefits uh, for ourselves in walking with the Lord the thing we need to understand that it is his doing and for himself like the text says uh, in a recent series that I preached not long ago from Titus chapter 2 and verse number 14. You may remember that I just kept hammering this truth in that it says about Christ who gave Himself for us, that He might uh, redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Do you realize what that's saying? I, I know what that means. I know exactly what it means. And I want to tell you all something. You say, you might ask the question, what is the Lord doing in the world today? I know what He's doing. He's purifying unto Himself. And that word peculiar means specially loved and treasured, purifying unto Himself. A peculiar people, how do you know them? Zealous of good works. Where does that zeal come from? It didn't come from us. It comes from Him. And that's what He does. He imparts and instills that in our heart. So know this one thing. This is what the Lord is doing in our world today. There are a number, there is a remnant of people that He is calling out of the world, and He's calling them out, and He's setting them apart, and He's doing it for Himself. Because we might say, well, you know, I'm interested in what I'm going to experience out there in eternity. When I go to heaven and everything, well, I've got to tell you all something. You know, the Lord has something to say about who He rubs shoulders with all throughout eternity. And so, He's choosing them for Himself. And the Bible even goes on to say, They were given Him before the foundation of the world in the covenant of grace. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the book of John when He says over and over, Them that the Father giveth unto Me. Them the Father gives unto Me. And I think that in chapter 6 of John, and verse 37, one of the most awesome statements in all the Bible, Jesus said, Every one of them is going to come to Me. He said that. They are. They're going to come to Him. And then He said, And of those that come to Him, I will in no wise cast out. That's what Jesus said. And you know what? I think a lot of people in the world need to test their doctrinal beliefs based on if you start just with that one verse, where are you are going to end up? Well, you, you, we know where we're going to end up. He's going to get all the honor and all the glory for everything wonderful that happens to us. And to know that living our life in this world, we're living our life as His, as being set apart for Himself. Lord, take us and use us according to Your precious will, to Your honor and Your glory, and help us to be faithful to You and obey You in the building of Your kingdom and cause in this world. And that's what this verse says in this psalm. So thank You, Lord, Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I just thank the Lord and I thank Him every day. I thank Him all the time that He's been so good to me. Am I worthy of that? No, I'm not. Do I deserve that? I've never been able to deserve it. Not for one minute of my life. But I am what I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God. And so are you. And so we can't take the glory or the credit or whatever, we have to give it all to the Lord. And that makes for a thankful bunch of people. Amen. They'll be thankful. Father, we thank You in